0: Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Monday, January 18th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Several of the women who influenced Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and left their own marks on the civil rights movement. A new documentary tracking the FBI's surveillance of Martin Luther King Jr. and other prominent black activists using documentation recently released by the National Archives. And a rundown of the many ways this week's U.S. presidential inauguration will differ from years past. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Today is Martin Luther King Day, as well as the National Day of Service, a day on rather than a day off to try to embody the values of service and community that Dr. King espoused. He should have turned 92 on Friday. And often on this day, I see the meme going around about how Anne Frank was born just three days before him. They both should be turning 92 this month, and it's, it's wild to think about that they were contemporaries. But Dr. King had a lot of other contemporaries he actually interfaced with, especially women in his life who supported him, challenged him, inspired him, and picked up the work left to be done after he was assassinated. NBC News profiled a few of those women today, and I want to share some of the highlights. First off is his wife Coretta Scott King, and their daughter, Bernice A. King, tweeted today, As you honor my father today, please honor my mother as well. She was the architect of the King Legacy and founder of the King Center, which she founded less than three months after daddy died. Without Coretta Scott King, there would be no MLK Day. End quote. NBC adds that she gave up the dream of becoming a singer to join the fight for racial justice and to support her husband, but she was an activist in her own right, campaigning for women's rights and against apartheid in South Africa. Dr. King said of Coretta Scott King, My wife was always stronger than I was through the struggle. While she had certain natural fears and anxieties concerning my welfare, she never allowed them to hamper my active participation in the movement. In the darkest moments, she always brought the light of hope. I'm convinced that if I had not had a wife with the fortitude, strength, and calmness of Corey, I could not have withstood the ordeals and tensions surrounding the movement." And another woman at Dr. King's side was gospel singer Mahalia Jackson. She joined him at many rallies and demonstrations over the years, and it's alleged that when he was feeling down, he would call her up just to hear her sing. But she really left her mark at the March on Washington in 1963, where, after her own performance, she was listening to Dr. King give his remarks and started thinking he maybe needed some course correction. So she thought about some themes she had heard him touch on at previous events and shouted out to him, tell them about the dream, Martin. And as can be seen in film reels of the March, Dr. King abandons his notes and improvises the rest of the speech, including the now famous I Have a Dream section. And that speech may also never have come to be were it not for the influence of Prathia Hall, the one speaker that Dr. King said he would never want to follow. An ordained American Baptist Association minister who would later hold the Martin Luther King Jr. chair at the Boston University School of Theology, scholars say it was a prayer of hers that led to Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, quoting NBC News. Reverend Naomi washington Leapart, a professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University, said Hall was in her early 20s at the time, and she'd been doing voter rights work during the summer. It was the beginning of an organizing meeting, a rally, and she offered the prayer. King was in the audience, and she prayed this prayer that referenced this dream. She spoke about how she had a dream, and he remembered that, washington Leapart said. He was so taken with that and moved by that. He was inspired by that refrain, he famously used that refrain in his speech in the March on Washington, end quote. One of Dr. King's closest confidants and only woman in his inner circle of aides was activist Dorothy Cotton, who trained thousands of activists over her years at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and had been an organizer in her own right before meeting Dr. King. Tiffany Gill, an associate professor of Africana Studies and History at the University of Delaware, said of Cotton, quote, We know she was one of the women closest to him in the years before his death. With her, there hasn't been a lot of historical accounts, but she carried a great deal of the emotional labor of the movement, and that's something often unacknowledged that women do. Particularly for King, she was a confidant and really gave herself wholeheartedly. End quote. Another important and often unacknowledged role frequently played by women behind the scenes is that of pushing back and challenging male leaders, which activist Ella Baker did regularly to Dr. King and others. Sometimes called the mother of the civil rights movement, Baker was an experienced organizer at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference by the time Dr. King arrived there. She believed that movements did not need a figurehead, that grassroots organizing was more important. She once said, quote, Strong people don't need a strong leader. Another elder in King's life was Dr. Dorothy Height, who was one of the only women in a decision-making position in the early days of the civil rights movement. Quoting NBC News, Height is known as one of America's most prominent civil rights activists. Her work focused on black womanhood. She co-founded Wednesdays in Mississippi, a consciousness-raising group for black and white women in the North and the South. And she was a key organizer of the March on Washington, and at King's request, she led a group to Alabama to meet with the families of the four girls killed in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham in 1963, end quote. And I love this from Professor Gill again, quote, She was never as publicly critical of King as Ella Baker. I do find interesting, whenever Haidt talked about King, she would talk about how young he was, and a smart young guy. But it was definitely a way of her saying, she was in the game a lot longer, and he should respect her as such. End quote. And not to get all Ella Baker on you, but every movement is made up of so many people working behind the scenes, not just the one leader who the public may see most often. And as time goes on, a lot of those people get lost to history, their names and stories forgotten, especially more marginalized people. So learning, remembering, and sharing the names and work of some of the women who played crucial roles in the civil rights movement is just as important as remembering the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., because he did not go it alone. There's a new documentary out today called MLK-FBI, which traces the ways in which the FBI was surveilling Martin Luther King Jr. towards the end of his life, as well as other black activists in an attempt to tamp down the civil rights movement. Directed by legendary filmmaker Sam Pollard, this documentary is based on a 1981 book by historian David Garrow, as well as documents released by the National Archives in 2017 and 2018. Quoting The Atlantic, MLK FBI chronicles the Bureau's attempts to stifle the civil rights movement through coordinated efforts to spy on King, with the hope of discrediting his righteous public image. With King, as with many black activists since the beginning of the 20th century, the FBI's surveillance wasn't an isolated obsession. It was part of a long-running effort to keep black Americans from acquiring institutional power, Pollard told me. The film traces exactly how the surveillance of King started, how it was conducted, and the effects it had on his life. End quote. Using tons of archival footage and interviews with first-hand witnesses, the film illustrates how the FBI's surveillance of black Americans began as part of FBI director J. Edgar Hoover's obsession with rooting out communism, racistly believing black people to be more susceptible to political manipulation. As their efforts became more focused specifically on Martin Luther King Jr. and his growing influence, the FBI sought to expose his extramarital affairs as a way of discrediting him to the public and his followers. But Director Sam Pollard noted to NPR's Fresh Air, quote, What Hoover didn't bank on was back in the 60s, the press did not take the bait. They didn't reveal the personal lives of these public figures. They didn't do it with John Kennedy, they didn't do it with others, and they didn't do it with Dr. King, end quote. And while this documentary serves as a needed reminder that Martin Luther King Jr. was not universally revered in his time, there could be worries that it paints too negative a picture of him by including personal details like the affairs he had. Producer Benjamin Hedden said of Pollard's approach, however, quote, he wouldn't be demythologizing someone. He would simply be portraying him with responsibility and sympathy, the way he would a subject in his documentaries who was not known to the wider public, end quote. And Hannah Georges said in The Atlantic, quote, MLK FBI offers an important corrective to prevailing myths about King and his principles of nonviolent resistance, which were not, in fact, widely embraced. As my colleague Van Newkirk wrote in 2018, hostility toward the civil rights movement turned into a cherry-picked celebration of the revolution's victories over segregation and over easily caricatured gap-toothed bigots in the South, end quote. And continuing from Georges, The reality was that opposition to King and to the racial progress he symbolized wasn't restricted by region or by political affiliation. Democrats and Republicans alike had turned against King by his later years, especially after he voiced objection to the Vietnam War. It's impossible to separate the FBI's decades-long commitment to tracking black activists from its relative failure to address the credible threats posed by white nationalists, including those that surfaced with last week's deadly attack on the Capitol. The FBI surveilling King and using dubious reasoning to do so isn't altogether shocking. For much of the country's history, sabotaging black rebellion by any means necessary has been integral to preserving white political power. The new and still contested development is finally accepting black people as active participants in American democracy. End quote. MLK-FBI is getting rave reviews so far, I know I will be watching it this evening, and if you want to as well, it is available on demand for about 7 bucks on most streaming platforms. This Wednesday, January 20th, will be the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris here in the United States. There are a lot of reasons this inauguration is different than ever before. Some unfortunate reasons. Due to the ongoing threats of both COVID-19 and domestic terrorism, Washington, D.C. is on lockdown, and many traditional elements of the inauguration, like the parade and the ball, have been replaced with virtual events. But it's also different for some positive reasons, like Kamala Harris being the first woman, first black person, and first person of South Asian descent to become vice president of the United States. And with so much going on over the next few days, I wanted to pull out a few things of interest to keep your eye out for. So first, just some basic stuff. It kicks off at 1130 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday with the national anthem sung by who else? I guess Lady Gaga. There will also be a number of things like the Pledge of Allegiance before the oaths of office are taken. Kamala Harris's will be just before noon and Joe Biden's will be right at noon as the Constitution stipulates that the previous presidency ends at noon on the 20th day of January. And following their oaths of office, then President Joe Biden will deliver his inaugural address Then he and Vice President Harris will be joined by Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton, as well as their spouses, to lay a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at the Arlington Cemetery. Somewhere in there will also be performances by Jennifer Lopez and Garth Brooks. But that will basically be it for in-person happenings. While in usual years there are about 200,000 tickets on offer to people to attend the inauguration ceremony, this year there were none. Absolutely no tickets were put on sale for the public, and the transition team has been leaning hard into virtual events to encourage people to stay home. The whole event will be live-streamed, of course, and instead of the traditional parade from the Capitol to the White House, there will be a virtual Parade Across America, which sounds like the name of a Disneyland ride, but in effect will probably resemble the nominating roll call from the Democratic National Convention over the summer when everyday folks from each state and territory got to cast their votes to nominate Joe Biden while also showing off some of their local heroes, or in the case of Rhode Island, a big old platter of calamari. Parade Across the America on Wednesday will be a bit more performative. It's set to feature Jon Stewart, Andre Day, Earth, Wind, and Fire, a wheelchair basketball foundation, the Trans Chorus of Los Angeles, several Olympians, and even Nathan Apodaca, aka Dogface208, aka the dude who went viral for skateboarding with some Cran Raz on TikTok over the summer. Yup. <laughs> I'm glad he's still having a good year. Anyways, that's at 3.15 p.m. Eastern. And then later on Wednesday at 8 p.m. in the evening, Tom Hanks is hosting Celebrating America, which is taking the place of the usual inaugural ball. It will feature remarks from both Biden and Harris, as well as a slew of musical performances. And if you're still pumped up about the inauguration in between all of that, the transition team has you covered with a curated inauguration playlist, which you can listen to on the streaming platform of your choice. The curation of the playlist was led by D-Nice and includes all genres of music, from Kendrick Lamar to Mary J. Blige to Bruce Springsteen and much more. And I got a kick out of the playlist description on Spotify. It said, quote, As this wondrous transition of power ensues, we strongly hold the joy of these select songs to be self-evident. End quote. Link to that in the show notes. Also, Tuesday night, so the night before the inauguration, tomorrow night, if you're listening on Monday, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, there will be a memorial to honor the lives lost to COVID-19. There will be a lighting ceremony around the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool, and towns across the country are encouraged to participate by ringing church bells and lighting buildings at 5.30 Now, in between Lady Gaga singing the national anthem, and our first Latina Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor swearing in our first Black and South Asian woman Vice President Kamala Harris, using our first Black Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall's Bible, as well as the Bible of Harris's childhood neighbor and mentor Regina Shelton—yes, there are a lot of firsts this year—in between all of that, there will also be a poetry reading from the youngest-ever inaugural poet— 22-year-old Amanda Gorman is not a total stranger to the pomp and circumstance of Washington, having been named the first-ever National Youth Poet Laureate in 2017. But now, she'll follow in the footsteps of poets like Maya Angelou and Robert Frost in reciting one of her own poems at the inauguration. In addition to writing incredible poetry—and seriously, I was lucky enough to hear her perform in person a few years ago and have never forgotten her performance—but Gorman, a Harvard grad, has also already announced her intention to run for president in 2036. So keep an eye on her. Of the poem that she'll read at the inauguration called The Hill We Climb, Gorman says, quote, "'America is messy. It's still in its early development of all that we can become.'" And I have to recognize that in the poem. I can't ignore or erase it. And so I crafted an inaugural poem that hopefully recognizes these scars and these wounds. Hopefully it will move us toward healing them." End quote. So a ton to look forward to surrounding the inauguration and hopefully just things to look forward to. Links to the schedule and how to watch all of that are in the show notes. That is it from me for today. As always, this show is produced by Ride Home Media and Cocky.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I hope you have all had a great Martin Luther King Day and National Day of Service. I will talk to you again tomorrow. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right?